You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 55. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today, we're discussing the ninth Doctor story, The Long Game. Uh, joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Good. So, um, folks, you may be wondering, uh, last last time, at the end of the last week, uh, the last episode we released, uh, it said we would be talking about the fourth Doctor story, Shada, which has been newly recreated uh, and re-released by the BBC with some Ooh. animation to make up for Yay. some stuff that had been lost and all that sort of thing. Uh, so why aren't we talking about it now? Uh, apparently, uh, the BBC has made the wonderful decision to release it uh, only in the UK for December. And yes. so... Uh, all of us what are wise. What a wise decision to not feed the spirit of American commercialism by releasing it in time for Christmas in the United States. Yeah, exactly. States. Yeah, the, the, the actual physical content will not be released in the United States till January 9th or something like that, which is right. ridiculous. And it's available on the uh, the UK iTunes store, but not on the US iTunes store. Um I don't know if this is a retribution for all the American content that is not available overseas or <laughs> I, I think it's payback for the revolution <laughs> That's right. or, yeah, there you go. or just typical uh, government bureaucrat thinking. Uh, but whatever it is, uh, we can't talk about what we haven't seen. So we're, we're working on getting the copies of the of this of the show, uh, you know, uh, either ordering from uh, the Blu-ray from the UK or uh, waiting till we can get it here or, or download it uh, iTunes or whatever. Uh, we, we anticipate being able to discuss it uh, next month in, in January of 2018. Um, hopefully, maybe even just just before the the general release, if we can get the UK DVDs or Blu-rays in here. Uh, in time, so that's coming up, uh, and that's uh, that's our little programming change. Uh, but speaking of uh, other things to to listen to, uh, if you're not subscribed to our uh, other SQPN show, The Secrets of Movies and Television, uh, then you've not uh, you've missed two great discussions that uh, we've had that uh, Jimmy and Father Corey and I have had about uh, the secrets of the Orville and the secrets of Star Trek Discovery. Uh, we've been talking about these new TV shows. Uh, we did two different two different discussions uh, and those are available on sqpn.com or tridio.com t-r-i-d-e-o.com uh, if you uh, if you want to listen to those and um, and hear what we have to say about those new TV shows. I think those I think those are good discussions guys. I, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed them. Yeah. So uh, and we're, we're planning on doing a Secrets of Star Wars, The Last Jedi and and maybe some other stuff coming up. If you have any suggestions of uh, sci fi or uh, superhero or other sorts of geek culture TV shows or movies that you'd love us to, 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 to discuss, uh, drop us a line, send us some feedback uh, to uh, Doctor Who at SQPN dot com. Um, that, you send it to that address because it, it makes it easier to well, the three of us get that the, that email yep. uh, regardless. Yeah. So um, and then we'll 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 drop more. So and if you haven't subscribed to that channel, please do. We're going to be making more shows in that uh, in that 
uh, channel uh, with that uh, show, The Secrets of Movies and Television in the future. So that brings us to our current discussion. So we're, we're, we're continuing. We've, we've, we're uh, continuing our parallel tracks as we head toward the Christmas special uh, in the uh, 12th Doctor's Regeneration, the uh, Peter Capaldi's Regeneration, uh, where we're covering all of the regenerations. And I think by this point, we've, uh, let me see here. We have just... We, we- We've done that, at least in terms of the recording. I'm not sure right. if they're all released yet. Well, Time of the Doctor <laughs> for the 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 twelfth the eleventh Doctor's uh, Matt Smith's regeneration is next week. That that'll release next week, uh, okay. as we as we as we discuss it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after that, there'll be a, we'll have a special uh, discussion of an adventure in space and time, which is a docudrama. Yep. About that was uh, a really fun discussion too. I yes, it was. One. Yeah, it's going to be good, and that features David Bradley playing William Hartnell, playing the First Doctor, and David Bradley in the Christmas special will be playing the First Doctor. It's very timey wimey. Yep. Um, so uh, <laughs> just like our podcast, as you can tell, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that's one track we've been following. The other track is we're doing the the new Who rewatch, uh, where we've started with the Ninth Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, and we've been watching uh, this the first that first season. Yeah, step by step and that's where we are now we watched uh, the, the the last one from that season we've we watched the most recent one was uh dalek in which we saw the daleks for the first time in new who and we come to uh this one called the long game the fourth great and bountiful human empire and there it is planet earth at its height my watch must be wrong no, it's fine. It's weird. It's what comes to showing off. Your history's not as good as you thought it was. My history's perfect. Well, obviously not. Something is wrong. I can taste it. Engage safety. Someone down there shouldn't be here. You control satellite five. And spike. And let me give you a recap of of what the long game is. So we have Adam, Adam Mitchell, who joined the Doctor and Rose uh, in the Dalek episode. Uh, And he takes his first trip in the TARDIS and they go to Earth uh, or at least the... um, Around Earth, the orbit of Earth, a space station in during the fourth great and bountiful human empire, 200,000 years in the future. Uh, it, but the doctor knows that something's wrong. The history has not turned out to like, he, like he thought it would. Uh, the emperor's attitudes and technology are backwards. Uh there's this uh, floor 500 people are disappearing um humanity might be is being manipulated by by the news and by uh you know something strange and somebody is playing a long game on humanity so that's uh that's where we begin and so this is episode 7 of that season go ahead yeah and so a long game in the sense of a long con it's something yep. a, a plot against humanity that's going to take a long time to pay off that's right that's mm-hmm. right so uh like i said this picks up from where dalek left off with uh adam mitchell joining the doctor and rose reluctantly on the doctor's part which is a signal don't get too attached to this guy <laughs> exactly <laughs> well and, and in fact uh so, so there's a sort of teasing about um 
him being a Rose's new boyfriend, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, I guess Mickey is definitely in the rearview mirror at this point. Uh, yeah, I think there's also maybe a little jealousy on the doctor's part mm-hmm. as her his her former boyfriend. Yeah, and although I I wonder though, um, is the is the doctor? I don't know if the doctor's so much romantically jealous as he is just jealous of her of the time. Attention. Yeah, of the yeah. attention. Um, you know, I've I've had uh, friends, like female friends, who have gotten a boyfriend, and suddenly uh, my my friend is no longer as available, and it's sort of like, well, it's not like I wanted to date you, but you know. Where'd my friend go? Time with you and visit. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, So I think it's a a little of that. Although we know that eventually, uh, in the tenth Doctor's time with David Tennant, that will become a romantic interest relationship uh, because the Doctor as my boyfriend is the is a new who thing. (laughs) Yeah, not my boyfriend. Once he grows young enough for yeah, exactly. Exactly. So. they land on satellite five and the doctor kind of goes into this, this, you know, the, um, not rant, uh, the opposite of rant, this, this, this soliloquy about how wonderful the fourth great and powerful human, human empire is, uh, the, um, 96 billion people, a million planets and a million species. It's the peak of humanity's culture, art, food, manners, politics. And then suddenly, bam, it's like this. All these rude people pushing and shoving and fast food being thrown at, at you and uh, five, six hundred news channels all being you know flung about on Satellite 5. And the doctor seems really taken aback uh, at all this. Um, so we um, we find out that Satellite 5 is a. Is basically a giant what uh, cable, TV station? Yeah, cable cable hub, something like it's there, yeah. a lot of media is being processed through there. Right, right, including the news that the uh, face of Bo is having a a baby. Yeah, which is quite a trick. <laughs> exactly. Given what we know about who the face of Bo eventually becomes, uh, although it might be just um, I, I got the sense that it was a little bit. Uh, um, Perhaps gossip, you know, the, the where like, uh, yeah, yeah, like the National Enquirer sort of thing. But uh, the channel that that was on, as you'll notice, was uh, called Bad Wolf TV, which uh, mm. is part of the whole Bad Wolf arc of the season. Yeah, uh, and then there's this five hundredth mythical five hundred floor five hundred. So there's all these five hundred floors of this space station, uh, and people believe that it's paved uh, not paved with gold. The walls are made of gold. Uh, yeah, it's where the executives all are. So all the employees of Satellite 5 really want to be promoted to work on 4 500. Yeah, and no one seems to think it's it's odd at all that no one ever comes back from 4 500. Uh, <laughs> um, so the Doctor and Rose... Doctor and Rose kind of go, go off and do their usual thing. Adam, you know, uh, purports to be overwhelmed by the situation. And the Doctor's very... He's very... Um, impatient with Adam for being overwhelmed. The doctor only likes to take people with him who sort of uh, apparently uh, who are all gung ho about new experiences. And, you know, the sort of people who go to Europe for the first time and want to, you know, eat in every local cafe and run down random streets and, you know, explore (laughs) and, you know, you know, and all that sort of stuff, not like stay in the touristy hotels and and go to the touristy locations. 
or just get overwhelmed by culture shock, which is a very real phenomenon. You know, Mm -hmm. if you go certain, I mean, people really do go places and the differences in the local culture are just too overwhelming for them at first. Exactly. And if, if you think about traveling through all of space and time, it's like that on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I can't imagine like what it, what it would be like. I think as much as Doctor Who, the series, tries to show us, you know, what it would be like to go to these different times. I think the, the difference between our culture and, and whatever it will be in 200,000 years is unimaginable. So much greater right. than they depict it. Yeah. So it would be or even worse. He, he, or even going back into the past. I mean, the smell alone would mm-hmm. be intolerable. No <laughs> yes. kidding. <laughs> oh, yes. I've, I've heard stories of uh, London of the of the medieval and uh, Renaissance eras where uh, you could you could essentially walk across the Thames uh, on the on the sewage and trash. It was so thick with it. Uh, oh. it so kind of gross. But uh, but um, so it would be it would be much more of a of a shock, a culture shock than we than we even imagine. But uh, do you think Adams was really culture shocked or did he see an opportunity in front of him? Uh, Maybe a little of both. I don't know. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Father Corey? I guess I kind of in the same opinion is I kind of feel like at first he was in awe, you know, because he was just all of a sudden, you know, one minute he was standing in that bunker that was about to be filled with concrete. Next minute, he's two, you know, 198,000 years in the future. And. Wow. You know, I think all of us just that initial shock of realizing what's going on. But then once he thought about it, it's like, and of course, you know, that that whole issue of that stupid cell phone, super phone, you know, <laughs> I like uh, the super phone. I wish I, I had know. that kind of roaming. You know, I, I don't know. Like, it would help out out here because so, there's some places you don't get any phone service, whether super or not. But um, it's just that that all of a sudden the the wheels started turning and he saw a way to make some profit on this. Right. And re- let's re- recall that his role, his job in that bunker in, in the uh, Dalek episode was to take alien technology, figure out what it is and, and, and figure out, um, reverse engineer it. For yeah. 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 You can find applications for it to, to, to sell it. So here he is 200,000 years in the future. Even the smallest technology could be invaluable in, you know, 2006 or five whenever mm-hmm. this aired. Um, so, yeah, so I, I think you're right. I think he was initially he was overwhelmed, but then when he, he the wheel started turning and he saw the possibility. Uh, so they, they, they encounter these these two. Um, these two women. Producers. Yeah. From this time period. And uh, their names were Suki and. Kathika. Uh, Kathika, right. Um, and they watch them. They, they, you know, the doctor uses the psychic paper to convince them that uh, he, he's he's a, an inspector from management. And he watches them in their news gathering. I, I, I got to be honest. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what <laughs> what what all that was about, to be honest. Like, so <laughs> they sit down and they they the, the, you have seven people in a circle and the, there's a chip in their brains that does something, and then the 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 eighth person sits in the middle, and the little hatch opens up to directly feed data into the brain. 
Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't. Well, it's 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 basically a visualization of a human neural network. So you have all of these people. They have uh, they have computer interfaces in their brains to to you know collect and transmit data. So presumably they've you know they're hooked into various information sources from which the news is being gathered. And then they're collating the information and processing it and then feeding that information to a central person who's like the news editor that mm-hmm. their brain collects all that information and kind of does a second la- layer of processing before it's uploaded right. for transmission. And this is just a way of visualizing all that. So instead of actually using radio waves, which would be invisible, mm-hmm but would be what we likely use in real life. We see these kind of sci-fi energy beams coming from their heads just as a way of visualizing that for the audience. Yeah, either radio waves or something like Johnny Mnemonic where you jack in, you know, you actually plug yeah. in something in the back of your head, you know. Well, but by uh, the year 200,000, they should have pretty good Wi-Fi, so. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Wi-Fi jacking. Uh, you know, the, if I were a journalist, I'd probably be a little bit offended uh, by this episode because because they identify themselves as journalists, but they apparently all they seem to be doing is they're not actually reporting, going out, get, you know, interviewing getting primary access to data to information yeah. they're just uh, assembling you know news stories from stuff that's already been reported i mean at best well, they're sort of group that's, bloggers that's, <laughs> yeah but that's exactly what most journalism is today there's very yeah. little investigative journalism it's largely calling people on the telephone and rewriting press releases and that's yes it. or yeah, this uh, was, wire stories yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. this was, this and this was even less the journalists didn't actually do anything they just sat there and let their brains do the work right So it feels like it's a bit of a commentary on not even just a bit. It this is a commentary on the news industry uh, of today, or you know, of a decade ago. Well, that's the funny part is this was done ten years ago, and it seems even more appropriate when you look at the era of fake news we're in right now. Yeah, you know, and every everybody's calling everyone else fake news, and you know, it. Yeah, this seems way that's too temp- appropriate. That's a that's a temporary meme established for political purposes. The news has always been fake. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, and in fact, this is the part of the long game because the this the creature that at the heart of all this, so we'll, you know, just to kind of mention it uh, right here, is using our dependence on the news media to manipulate us, to manipulate all the, all of humanity and the, and the great bountiful human empire, um, to to for its own ends, to to take mm-hmm. control, uh, and and it's a and again it's a sort of a commentary that you know we are we are being manipulated by the news media in some in, in some cases in some ways, and in, in some blatant, some less so. Uh, to for and against certain issues and stuff. This just takes it to the nth degree, and and to show how universal or time timeless this concept is. The original idea for this episode was comes from a pitch that Russell T Davies made to Doctor Who in the uh, in the early eighties. Uh, he wow. originally pitched this idea uh, that long ago. So. And it wouldn't have been the only uh, similar story uh, back then. There was another one during Colin Baker's time that was written by, um, oh, uh, Bob Holmes, that was about the manipulative effect of the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. on people. And that's something that we're going to come back and see again by the end of this season. Right. uh, On this very same space station uh, when we come back for Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways, a 
an episode, uh, two episodes, which you've uh, already discussed as part of our regeneration series yeah. of, uh, of podcast episodes. Um, yeah. So, um, at this point, the uh, the editor who is played well by Simon Pegg, he's just wonderful in this in this <laughs> role. I just I just I love Simon Pegg and everything. He's just great uh, in in everything. So uh, he plays the editor, um, and he he uh, t- he finds something is amiss. Uh, he's up on floor five hundred, and and he and we think that he's talking about the doctor. Some one of these things is is doesn't fit in, and it and it turns out it's actually this Suki uh, young lady. And so they promote her to the 500th floor and she shows up and she's uh, uh, not she's she's killed and turned into sort of a uh, zombie processing unit of some sort. Yeah. Turns out she was uh, like a part of a rebel group that was fighting against uh, the space station and everything they were broadcasting. Yeah. Anarchists who who know that somebody's manipulating everything. Um, and then it's at one point, uh, uh, the, the editor says he who controls the media controls everything, but they also control all information about everyone everywhere. In other words, it's not just the media that they're controlling, but they have all your data about what you've purchased and what, you know, who you've talked to. And again, this feels very relevant, even more relevant than in 2005. <laughs> Am- Amazon meets Facebook meets CNN. Exactly. Boy, that's that a great combination. Right. I mean, you know, people talk about, oh, you know, our smartphone are spying on us and our and the uh, the Amazon echoes and all of that stuff, you know, that, that they're all spying on us. Like I'm looking at the one glowing at me on the wall right now. Uh, they're all spying <laughs> on us. At you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all hail to the great Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's 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 so much even more relevant today. Uh, and this, again, as we know from what we're looking at, uh, Rose's little Nokia phone that she that she drags out. This is the pre smartphone era, the pre, uh, you know, Echo yeah. era, era. Uh, but everybody this is, still had the everybody still had the Nokia stick phones or flip phones at this point. You yes. Know, that, so you, feature feature phones were starting to come into existence, but the idea of a real smartphone was kind of BlackBerry. I think was about as close as we got to real smartphones at that time. Yeah, the BlackBerry, the Trio, and the those ones that were really they, they were still not quite there yet. Uh, so we, we're not going to turn this into a gadget podcast, folks. Even as much yeah. as I'd love to, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, that was that was the thing. It was the the the, the real you know the iPhone was still a couple of years in the future from this. Put it that way, which really heralds the beginning of the smartphone era. Uh, so. Uh, so I just thought found it's kind of a very interesting meta commentary on on something that's still quite relevant today or even more relevant today than it was then. Yeah. By, by the way, the other to speaking of commentary on social situations and television, that episode I mentioned from Colin Baker's era was Vengeance on Varos. Right. And it was actually written by Philip Martin rather than Bob Holmes. But uh, it could have been written by Bob Holmes. It was creepy enough. Yeah. <laughs> Did we recently uh, one of the regeneration episodes, uh, the 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 um, Peter Davison's regeneration episode? Was that also a Bob Holmes? That was Bob Holmes. Caves of Androzani. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think even in that episode, you, you were saying that um, he he ha- he liked to do this social commentary. Uh, he did that very yeah, well. In, in that one, it was corporations that he was taking on. Okay, so uh, so we as we said, Adam discovers that uh, he he can access the data um, through this terminal, uh, you know, information, but he can't really get very far without a chip in his head, 
And mm-hmm. so he, he gets greedy and decides to he makes his way to the uh, the, the medical bay where they can insert uh, the chip. Uh, a little side note, uh, probably of interest to maybe one other person than me you're listening. But uh, the nurse <laughs> in the medical lab uh, is played by Tamsin Grigg. And I, I'm looking at this at her. I'm like, where have you, I always do this every every time. Where have mm-hmm. I seen her before? So I looked exactly. her up. She's uh, she co-starred in the in the Showtime TV series episodes, which I don't recommend because it's um, uh, it's morally questionable. But I've seen I've seen uh, I've seen a couple of episodes of that uh, Show, Showtime TV episodes of what? Uh, it's called episodes. The TV show is called oh, episodes. Okay. Sorry. Oh, well, that's, so you've seen a couple confusing. episodes of episodes. Yeah, exactly. It's confusing. <laughs> but the, the TV show and it uh, it features. Um, Oh, the guy from Friends, Matt, um, Matt LeBlanc. I keep, LeBlanc. I keep wanting to say Smith because I'm on Doctor Who podcast. Yeah. Matt LeBlanc playing a, a really obnoxious version of himself uh, starring in a TV show that is a an American import of a British hit series that the mm-hmm. and then Tamsin Greg is one of the two producers of the British series that's brought over to make an American. So it's really kind of a commentary on how stupid American TV is and how often they take something good from Britain and, and, and make a bad version of it in America and stuff. But she was in that. And so it's just, it was just kind of funny to see her here. And it was the same thing with the actress that plays Kathika. I she I, I I'm still trying to figure out where I really know her from, but she's been in a lot of different stuff, a lot of different sci-fi. So mm-hmm. I just must remember her as sort of a character actor from a lot of different series. There's not one thing that jumps out at me as oh yes, that's what she's from. Uh, but that's that's just me. Uh, I, I tend to do that with familiar faces. So he goes. So Adam goes down and he wants to get a chip implanted. Um, and she the the nurse tells him, well, it's going to cost some money. And he's like, well, I've got this. And he's got this credit stick that the doctor gave him. And she gets very excited because apparently he has unlimited credit, which Boy, is. Boy, would uh, that be nice? <laughs> would be very nice. <laughs> Thank courtesy of the doctor. Uh, and so he decides to go. And that's that's a little unusual for the doctor, actually, because normally the doctor either doesn't carry money at all or doesn't have um uh, doesn't have very much with him, and it'll be like mm-hmm. weird currency from the wrong time period or right. the wrong planet. And so, how the doctor pays for stuff is a kind of little recurring obstacle. And here, that just they just don't even go there. It's just he unlimited just, credit. He just sonics an ATM, and there yeah, you go. That's it. He basically just steals unlimited amounts of money. Yeah, <laughs> twice over. <laughs> so uh, I mean, even with uh, with when the when uh, the tenth Doctor David Tennant uh, wants to give a gift of a um, uh, of a lottery ticket a lottery to ticket. Donna Noble, he borrows the dollar from her deceased dad. He goes back in time to borrow the dollar, or I'm sorry, the pound from her deceased dad to buy the ticket, uh, the winning ticket. You know, of course. Uh, and uh, so, so it doesn't even use his, you know, his own cash and does a, a little bit of a poetic gesture there. So, um, but yeah, in this case, he kind of, and, and I'm not sure he even knew how much credit was on this credit stick. He, he says to Adam, don't spend it all in one place, <laughs> you know, uh, when he hands it to him. So it's, it was kind of uh, odd or, you know, interesting. So, um, you know, we have to we have to set up the, the uh, case, I guess, where he can go and spend unlimited amounts of money to spend 10,000 credits on an mm-hmm. uh, info spike in his forehead. Uh, the little hatch, the creepy little hatch, which seems um, very odd. Yeah. So for people who haven't seen this or seen it in a while, it's like a little four petaled 
port in your forehead that opens up and you can literally yep. see the fissure in your brain between the two <laughs> yep. hemispheres right. when it opens up. So I, I'm, I'm guessing they've got some kind of nan- nanotech barrier protecting your brain from, you know, instantly being harmed by all the bacteria outside of your skull that's not meant to be in there. Right, right. I mean, that, even in today's technology, when they when sometimes there are some brain operations where they they basically they'll poke a hole in your in your head and they'll leave it open for a while. Like mm-hmm. you'll you'll just have like a bandage or something, or just they'll leave it open. Well, so you know, they have to drain drain off pressure mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, I, I need that. Like I need a hole in the head. Uh, but apparently, uh, Adam needed a hole in his head, uh, which actually, given the, with the stupidity, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, and 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 then there's the question of how is he going to access this port when he needs to get information in or out? And there's a default setting, which is snap your fingers and it'll open up. Right. And, now, he could customize that to something else like, you know, I don't know, sing the sing a lyric from Gilbert and Sullivan to yourself and it'll open up. But um, but he doesn't get around to, to changing the factory default setting, which is important uh, later. Yeah. So. Um, so we so so that's sort of the B plot running through this uh, episode uh, and it, uh, to the A plot of the doctor and Rose trying to figure out who's trying to uh, control humanity. So um, the doctor and Rose make their way to floor 500 where it's bitterly cold. It's like a meat locker um, because there's this creature and I'm going to try to say the name, the mighty Jagrafess of the holy Hadrajasic Maxarodenfo. Uh, yeah, or Max, or Max, the, the, or, Max. <laughs> uh, or the uh, which um, of, of any, all the sci-fi shows, the the Doctor Who seems to work hard at coming up with unpronounceable well, alien this, names. This was, this was Russell T Davies in particular. I think he almost <laughs> yeah. delighted in coming up with these names, where he just kind of threw them in a like a a, a Scrabble. <laughs> letters in a bag and shook them around and poured them on the table. And that's the name. Well, and, and that's kind of, I actually, actually, I like that. It's something that happens in sci-fi periodically because we do have it, it, the normal thing in fiction is to take the easy way and make an easy to say, easy to remember name. And so lots of characters in science fiction of lesser quality tend to have names that, Sound vaguely Greco-Roman, right. you and know, might be, or might be vaguely two th- Semitic. Two or three syllables in their name versus you know sixteen, eighteen, twenty, like there is in some yeah. of these names. But but we there are cultures that have like have agglutinating languages where the way you build words is by sticking lots of syllables together. Mm-hmm. And like German. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, I was thinking Swahili, um, but. <laughs> But uh, you, you you do have cultures where people have really long names, and um, it's neat to see that reflected in sci-fi. So, like in Larry Niven's Ringworld series, there are people who have names like Harlololprilalar and Kawaresksinjajok and things like that. Um, <laughs> and I, and I like seeing that on Doctor Who. I like in particular one bit. Um, where uh, it's in the Voyage of the Damned Christmas special where um, David Tennant's doctor meets uh, one of the um, uh, little red cactus guys and tells him his name, and it's really long, and he says, can I call you this for short? And the guy's like, no. (laughs) <laughs> and after that, he's got to he's got to he's got to call him by the full name. 
um, which I thought was a cool moment. Uh, less cool, I thought, was the uh, Mighty Jagrafest itself in this episode. Yeah. Um, putting putting it politely, it looks like a giant mouth stuck to the ceiling. Yeah. Putting it less politely, it looks like potentially part of your lower intestines stuck to the ceiling. <laughs> right. And um and frankly, I didn't think it added a lot to this episode. It's it's no. it's it's it all it does is growl and be angry and stuff. The real villain here is Simon Pegg. And mm-hmm. and I think the episode would have been better if they just forgotten the Jagrafest and let Simon Pegg be the villain. You know, it I want to bring up here the my problem connecting this to the Bad Wolf Parting of the Ways episodes, which is the the Doctor immediately suspects that somebody has been tampering with time. Yeah. So has the so what does so and we find out in Bad Wolf that it's the Daleks. So what is mm-hmm. so how does that connect with this? I, I I'm I'm still yeah. confused with that, and and I think it's a, a thread. I don't think it's just me. I think it's a thread that never got actually uh, picked up, paid off. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, so, and, and, and kind of agreeing with with Jimmy, they could have done it where Simon Pegg was basically the unwitting workman for the Daleks, right. Yeah, it could have been that the Daleks, you know, it could have been that the the Daleks were using him and were and, and were setting things up for what everything eventually looked like in um in in Bad Wolf. Yeah. But 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 we you know they 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 create this station that we're going to come back to and this mm-hmm. this connection between the episodes that doesn't really it doesn't really match up and it just very it was very confusing. That and I agree that the Jagger Fest was a sort of sort of a uh it was just a, a a moment. It was just designed to shock you for a moment with the imagery of this scary creature, but not much more than that. Yeah. Now, one reason for the for the incongruity, and I, I've seen some online explanations, like the banks or somebody was, you know, the corporations were playing in in on the long game with the Jagrafess, and and they were unwitting Dalek puppets that then mm-hmm. the Daleks came out of the shadows and revealed themselves later on. Um, but you're right. That's if that's what's going on, they, they treat it pretty lightly and it's not clear certainly to the casual viewer. And it could simply be a, a this phenomenon writing wise could be produced by budgetary reasons because mm-hmm. they, they, they wanted to, um, like any TV show, they wanted to save money. And that's the reason that we had in the classic era of Doctor Who four and six part serials. So they would get to use the same sets over mm-hmm. and over again before they had to build new sets. And so basically in this one season of Doctor Who, where now they've come back, now they're throwing all the money at CGI to make it look really good on screen. They need to save money somehow. And so they basically get three episodes built on the satellite five set. So they have the long game and uh, yep. the two part at the end of the series with the parting of the ways. And, and basically they had, they it's it, what they're doing is a crypto version of the same thing where they build a, a group of sets once and then get to use it for three episodes. Correct. But doesn't it feel like this, that it's their bad wolf, especially is just a remake mm-hmm. of this episode. You know, instead of news, well, yeah. it's reality shows. 
Right. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It feels yeah. like this episode is is something that's largely produced by budgetary reasons based on what they're setting up at the mm-hmm. end of the series. So they they know they're going to the reality show place at the end of the series and and they need to save money. So, well, let's use this set early. And instead of reality shows, it'll be TV news. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Not just saving money on the sets, but on the plot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's it it it, it does feel like the, yeah, like in which case Simon Pegg in the in the, in the two-parter at the end of the series season would have been uh yeah, so much better. Uh so okay, so that's what so we have here and then um the Jagrafest needs it to be cold because for some reason it puts off a lot of heat and they mess with the heat mm-hmm. heating system. So the doctor saves the day by HVAC manipulation. Yeah. <laughs> So um, there was a the editor does say one thing at one point, um, I think in reference to the fact that the Empire is all human, uh, isn't that, you know, the paradise of a million species living in peace? uh, He says, if you create a climate of fear, it's easy to keep the borders closed Um, without getting too political. I just found that a very another very timely sort of exactly. ahead of its time sort of sentiment. Although, I mean, the issues of borders and immigration were, were in Europe. Yeah, in are, Europe, are especially. Right. Well, I was just reading today as we're recording this today that there's now uh, issue in Ireland between Ireland and Northern Ireland with the Brexit and all that. And who's going to build the border ports? You <laughs> right. know, all those kind of issues still still going on in Europe today. Yeah. So it's it's I just I found that that one line to be very timely. Uh, so um, you know, at kind least of, they're only arguing about borders and not fighting about them anymore. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, so Adam, we we're back to Adam, and we we're kind of paying off the B plot, which is that his his greed, his attempt to beam the information about computers back to his mother's. Um, answering machine, which again, 2005, people had answering machines, uh, try to beam mm-hmm. that back in time to her answering machine, exposes the doctor. And uh, because uh, once, once Adam is using the info spike, the editor can read his mind as much as he's mm-hmm. pulling information in. And so he finds out who the doctor really is and who Rose are, is. And, 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 and means that uh, A, that the, the editor and the Jaggerfest have access to the the TARDIS key that Rose gave to to Adam and information uh, on the TARDIS so that they, maybe they could travel through time and take over all of time. Um, and so yeah, I love the, I love the, the, the high tech, you know, special effects there where you had somebody with a string above the camera, pulling up the key <laughs> out of his pocket. That's you know? <laughs> right. Who's, who's the gaffer whose job that was. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, all, you know, the, uh, Gate comes to the rescue, saves the doctor and Rose, um, uh, the Jaggerfest blows up, um, and the, uh, the doctor and Rose escape. And, uh, the, it's time to pay for uh, Adam to pay the piper or the Billy Piper mm-hmm. anyway. But uh, yeah, the- so this is a this is a first. He gets yes. put off the TARDIS. We've never had we've had companions have unpleasant fates before, mm-hmm. but we've never had one just be rejected by the doctor before. Yeah. Thrown off for bad behavior, essentially. Yeah. That, that, that was a pretty big deal. And, and the doctor even sort of, you know, some of this flies off on Rose. He's, you know, you and your boyfriends. You know, kind of talking about uh, Adam and Mickey. Uh, there's a bit of a he's kind of a little a little uh, peeved at Rose as well on this one. 
Um, well, but she joins in with it too. It's like, he ain't my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. And then we, uh, I have to admit the, the little scene with the snap at the end. I like that. that yeah. Well, yeah. Clever. Adam is, Adam is back in his house with his mom and, uh, and then she oh, snaps is, her fingers. This is, this is after the doctor has repeatedly snapped his fingers in front of Adam to make the port keep opening. <laughs> and and Rose couldn't resist either. Right. Rose right. Couldn't resist so, either. Yeah. So, uh, so we end this, the episode with, um, the, the mom, you know, coming, he's the doctor leaves Adam at his mom's house. And the mom, remember, thinks that Adam is working in the U.S. somewhere and hasn't seen mm-hmm. him in, in six months. And so when she sees him, she's all excited. And uh, and she says, six months went by like that and snaps her fingers and uh, and the port opens. And you and we end the uh, episode on her, her eyes going wide as she yeah. presumably sees the should, port open. Should also mention before we forget that doctor, the doctor uses his sonic to destroy the voicemail so that it doesn't right yes. can't use the data he yeah. blows up her also, uh, telephone also he's warned adam that he's going to need to hide the head port lest he get dissected right exactly right yeah so so here's an interesting question uh, you know how do we feel about what the doctor did with adam here conceptually from a writing point of view I like the idea of a fallen companion who gets kicked off. I, I think that's an interesting dramatic thing. Probably though, I think if I were going to, if I were, you know, this showrunner and setting that up, I wouldn't have it be after just one episode. Right. Um, I mean, there is a kind of logic to that of if someone's going to go bad, they're going to go bad fast. And, mm-hmm. and so, um, you, they get kicked off fast, but there would have been more dramatic payoff if there had been a slow build to this. And then there's, and there's actually a parallel. There's a couple of parallels, uh, to that in the Peter Davison era. Um, because, uh, there were two companions in the Peter Davison era that were put aboard the TARDIS, one by the master who put Chameleon there and one by, uh, the Black Guardian who put right. Turlo there. But there were two companions put aboard the TARDIS specifically to harm the doctor. And they both repented and they both mm-hmm. were forgiven by the doctor. And what we see here, I mean, one way of looking at what Adam does is, yes, he does something he shouldn't. He's trying to interfere with history, but it's a beginner mistake. And and if the doctor weren't so peevish about it, I, I, I think that, I mean, my inclination would be to give Adam another chance and say, look, OK, here's why you don't want to tamper with history um, and here's why this isn't about personal profit, but I wouldn't have kicked him off after one mistake like that. So I think the doctor was a little, even though I like the idea of a conception falling and being kicked off, um, I think it was too quick. And, and I don't know that it was set up right because to me, this looks like a rookie time traveler mistake. I feel like that it's sort of, it's, it's, it's emblematic of the, of the early seasons of the new who, uh, in under Russell. T. Davies. T. Davies. Yeah, it's that when you could have taken the opportunity to develop something over time and have a more complex characters and more complex interactions and have Adam kind of not go bad necessarily, but kind of have mistake after mistake until it comes to a head where the doctor says, look, I just can't give you any more chances. You've made, you Mm -hmm, know, you've put us in danger too many times. You're done. 
you know, it's to, to build up a, a relationship and a drama so that there is relationships. There is when Adam gets left behind, it's not just, well, see you, bud, you know, after mm-hmm. one one journey, but that there's a little more emotion connection between Rose and Adam, between Adam and the doctor, um, and maybe even like a little bit of emotion between the Rose and the doctor over his decision that, that it tears them up a All little right. bit. That would have been more interesting to me to see that over time, you know, sort of like what we see with not in the same way, but the, the sort of complex emotions we see between Amy and Rory and the doctor uh, later on where that these, this is this sort of triangle of emotions and relationships that develops between them that becomes complex as things happen. Um, I agree. I, I think, you know, I, I, I like the idea of a companion who gets kicked out for being, for bad behavior, um, and the other the other part is maybe they they, they kind of just left Adam at this point. They could have done something mm-hmm. with him in later episodes. And in fact, in both I think in both audio and in comics, at, in comics I know yeah, yeah Adam continues to so he um, uh, there was a, he, yeah there was a comic in which he resents the Doctor for kicking him out of the TARDIS because his ulterior motive beyond the the money was to save his mother with advanced medical technology. Um, And so his mother, you know, in, in, in that storyline, his mother died soon after he got left behind. And then Adam seeks revenge on the doctor and and his companions, Um, which, which, which makes, you know, which actually has some interesting because given his previous occupation, he would have had for some understanding of knowledge of, and probably access Mm to alien technology that he could use to, to do that. That would be an interesting development. This having that character come back. So. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. They both make him more of a hero and then he does a full heel turn. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So, well, they kind of made him kind of almost one dimensional, like uh, Van Staten, where he's, he's Mm -hmm. in it for the money, in it for the power, in it for the, basically he wanted to make himself the next Van Staten. It's kind of how they made him. Yeah. I mean, not not quite as bad as Van Staten in that whole episode, like pretty much everybody in that episode, but yeah. but not much not better. As rude. Yeah. But but not as but morals in the same place. Right. And that might be part of it is, is that so many of the secondary characters, especially the ones that they that get they encounter in these early episodes are so one dimensional, so flat. Yep. So so, you know, not real. Um Later, they get better as the time goes on and the seasons go by with making these people, the people that they encounter much, much better rounded. I mean, it's they don't get perfect, mm-hmm. they're not perfect about it, but but they do a better job of making them more well-rounded. So, uh, you know, that's it's a it's a criticism uh, of a show that is young. It is new and getting its feet under it. And probably also trying to prove that it's not going to be slow like the old mm-hmm. Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I, I wonder, too, if you know, we had talked about how that this episode almost kind of felt like a plug in to fill in a slot uh, in the schedule. Uh, I wonder if that's a consequence of that, if the initial intention wasn't to continue with Adam's character. But then the op- they said, well, we got to do something with this slot. Well, let's bring this character with. And give him a second yeah. episode. We need we need a good B story, so let's borrow this character from the previous right. episode, yeah, right? right. Be- because the previous episode, like, they bring him on board at the end, and they they could have just left it where you know goodbye, uh, you know, see, you know, uh, they they brought him on board for a one trip, and then start the next episode without even mentioning him, like just assuming that they left him at home afterwards 
or something sure. like that. Um, but you know, they could use that. And, and I have to say the, um, we go from, from, from that episode. I think the very next episode is, uh, episode eight is, uh, episode, actually episode eight is father's day, which is uh, also right. not one of my favorites. Um, no. so we'll be discussing that coming up. Uh, but, but after that, although the, some of the relationship stuff is good in that, but after that, we get into some of the, what I consider the the better part of this first season, oh, the yes. second half of the yeah. season with Empty Child, which is I think many people regard as one of the better one of the best episodes of of uh, the yes. the Ninth Doctor uh, season. Yeah. Um, so and of course, Empty Child was written by Stephen Moffat. Uh, so, yeah. uh, are you my mummy? Dum dum dum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, what? So overall, what? I mean, anything left to say about? Uh, this episode, uh, I thought it was kind of is okay. It's a paint by numbers episode. I find that I found the Jagrafess annoying. I would have much mm. rather seen Simon Pegg just get to be a villain with yeah. no one pulling his strings. Yeah, yeah, that that would have been that would have been more fun. And like like you mentioned, Jimmy, have it where he could have come back as part of the the season finale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, like if he was the con man behind the long game. Yeah, that would have been good. So um, before we wrap up, we did have a, a couple of bits of feedback from our uh, our discussion of the Caves of Androzani, which was the what was it, the sixth Doctor's regeneration episode? No, no, the fifth Doctor's regeneration yes. episode. Um, and let's see, it was from a Matt from Ithaca, who we heard from before when he uh, sent us that really excellent feedback, audio feedback on the Slothene episodes. Um, and he says, he, I'm flattered that you devoted so much time to my comments on the Slothene in, in that episode. He says, when it comes to caves, I, of course, agree that it's a classic of classic who probably Peter, Peter Davison's best story, in fact. Uh, the yeah. one thing I might add to the discussion is that it's a fine example of a rare subcategory of Doctor Who stories in which the Doctor never manages to gain the upper hand in the fraught situation du jour. From practically the moment the TARDIS materializes on Androzani Minor, he's thrust into the middle of an ongoing conflict and thrown off balance to such an extent that he spends the entire story merely reacting to events, not determining them. The situation devolves too quickly for him to regain his footing before the end. A more recent example of the same type is the Waters of Mars, in which the water-based mm-hmm. contagion spreads so rapidly that the Doctor can do nothing but save a few crew members from its explosive concussion. The situation, or conclusion, sorry. The situation is rare, as I say. I can't think of another example offhand, although I'm sure there are a couple I'm overlooking, but I find that it enhances the drama and tragedy of a story when it occurs. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Right. This, yeah, uh, yeah. This, is, <clears throat> this is one of the problems. In fact, I was... Uh, of new who and i was seeing someone else comment on this recently i forget where but uh, in in the classic series the doctor often was not as ahead of the game the way he is now now Mm -hmm. they're so interested in proving how cool the doctor is and how (laughs) super mega awesome he is that he's never he's virtually never on the defensive he's always five steps ahead of everybody and it sucks the drama out of it if the Mm -hmm. if the protagonist the person you, you theoretically care about most if the protagonist is never under serious threat, if you but if you knock him off his heels and he's just reacting and trying to survive and trying to save his companions, that's much more dramatic than mm-hmm. him strutting around bragging about how cool he is. 
Well, how many times have we seen, whether it was Amy or Clara or Bill, all kind of turning to the doctor at one point in an episode saying, okay, so obviously you have a solution to this. Obviously, you're five steps. I'm like coming yeah. right out and saying it. Like yeah. the, the the writer puts that in the script. It's like, yeah. I this mean, is it, just this is just a cosmic chess game to you, and you already know how it's going to so- end up. Yeah, it's the Superman know? problem. You know, Superman is so powerful, so strong in every situation that trying to to build a a a, a villain or a or a situation that that threatens him, you know, it becomes difficult. And so, you know, you you know, he's always going to come out of it smelling like roses. He's always going to, you know, successfully pull it off. Um, it's it yeah, is. And what they what they do in that moment when the companion says, of course, you've got a plan to get us out of this. He either says, of course, and then he has a plan or he'll for a brief moment of drama say, actually, I don't. And then he comes up with a plan anyway. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It is. It is nice that that to kind of show that the doctor is not a Superman, is not a, a demigod. He's not always going to fix things that that sometimes the doctor fails. Uh, I think it I think it creates better drama, <laughs> frankly. And I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know who would disagree with that. Uh, I, that's why I kind of like Waters of Mars, especially the ending of Waters of yeah. Mars, mm-hmm. where, yes. you know, he, he comes right out and says, I'm a god. <laughs> you know? And then the, and he gets his comeuppance. Yeah. One exactly. shot proves him wrong. Uh, it's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. What? Water, Waters of Mars has some really great stuff. I mean, from the very beginning, where yeah. he walks into the situation and realizes he's at a fixed point in history where everyone is going to die, and he can't stop it. Right. And yep. then he tries to stop it, and take gets too big for his britches, and it ends up he ends up not saving everybody anyway. Yep. And in fact, a counterexample to this is the Raven. Clara dies. Mm-hmm. She died, mm-hmm. you know, and and I feel like I feel like they undermined. We talked about this when we, when the when we reviewed the episode. They undermined the audience's expectations. They undermined the doctor himself by mm-hmm. by pulling her out of that, you know, and mm-hmm. and and kind of making her the emotion of that sort of a ha ha moment. Um, yeah. the, the doctor failed in that moment. He failed to save Clara. And they undermined it. So uh, yeah. and he failed to save Bill, too. And then they undermined that. And that's just yep. a Stephen Moffat thing. He doesn't want any companions to have sad endings. That's right. That's right. So, uh, so Matt from Ithia, thank you for uh, for engendering that good discussion. That was that was we actually that could have been a whole episode. Where we could talk about exactly about the doctors. <laughs> maybe we'll, maybe we'll dig up some other examples and talk about that in a, in a whole episode. There was one other bit of uh, why we love the doctor to fail. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yes. Why the doctor should fail. Uh, and just to kind of throw it in there, it'll be interesting to see how Chris Chibnall uh, and Jodie Whittaker uh, play that play this and whether. Whether the doctor, uh, we're going to, we're going to end up stepping into the man, the male, female dynamic anyway, when it comes up, but whether, whether having a female doctor fail will, will be, will, will be allowed. Well, exactly. Because if they, if, if, if they, if she does fail on or show vulnerability, it's going to be taken as some kind of gender comment. Mm-hmm. Whereas it's really what you need for drama is a vulnerable protagonist, <laughs> exactly. and 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 their and the politically correct impulse is going to be to go the other way and make her the super cool, super competent superhero. Yep, uh, that's that is correspondingly less interesting. Right, that's that's the danger. So it's, we'll have to we'll have to look for that. 
so also uh, another comment from our Facebook page, Fred Firestein says, uh, thanks for all the additional info about the Ronnie. Uh, whenever I hear about Colin Baker, I think back to a Long Island Doctor Who convention where he was appearing for autographs and panel discussions. His assistant for the autographs was told to, or volunteered to make sure people recognized him. So she was crying out, hey, everyone, it's the sixth doctor, Colin Baker. She was so nice and enthusiastic <laughs> about it that it worked OK, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Colin Baker. <laughs> so that was our discussion uh, on the uh, the time, time of, the of the Ronnie, where it was the it was the quote unquote six Doctor regeneration episode in which the six Doctor never showed up because of By issues. The way, I I don't know if I mentioned it in that I don't think I did, but uh, Big Finish has done because so f just to briefly recap, Colin Baker was fired from the series and was asked to come back and do a regeneration story and he refused. So she so, was a shock, right? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we want to fire you, but we'd like you to come back. Yeah. Um, and so uh, so they had a kind of quickie you know, down and dirty regeneration where Sylvester McCoy actually was just dressed as Colin Baker when he regenerated and special effects blurred his face. And so there wasn't a proper regeneration. It wasn't even clear exactly what killed him, although the TARDIS was under attack. And so there's been this kind of hole in Doctor Continuity of the Sixth Doctor not having a proper regeneration story. Well, Big Finish has done one. Uh, they did a, uh, a multi-part audio play with different companions from different periods in uh, in uh, Colin Baker's time and gave him a proper story arc to set up that regeneration that we eventually mm. see. And so if you, if you, I think it's called The Sixth Doctor, The Last Adventure, but if you go to bigfinish.com you can, you can see there take on uh, with Colin Baker playing the part finally of uh, how his doctor gets to the point of regeneration and it's neat mm. speaking of Big Finish and Shada we talked about earlier uh, they apparently did a shot a version of Shada featuring uh, Paul McGann's doctor yeah. yeah so and I think is it that what the BBC then used to make their little web uh, I'm not they, sure. They had a, yeah they had a web uh, a flash base of course that's when flash was you know the, the hot thing yeah um but like a flash-based animation based on Shada with Paul McGann. I think, I'm not sure, but I think the big finished story is what they used as the audio for it. Okay. And they just added the video on top of it. Okay, okay. All right, well, great. thank you for that feedback to uh, Matt and Fred. Uh, th that's great. We love to get your feedback. I'm sorry if we, it takes some time for us to get to the feedback because we're recording episodes in advance, uh, but uh, please send your feedback. Um, if you send feedback uh, now or in any of the next episodes coming up to uh, Christmas, we'll try to get that uh, into our uh, episode on the uh, the Christmas 2017 episode. So um, that's it from us. What did you think of this ninth Doctor story, The Long Game? Let us know by visiting Tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, uh, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us some feedback there. Uh, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. You can find links to our, all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on Tridio.com. And we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the 11th Doctor Regeneration story, The Time of the Doctor. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining us in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you, Dom. And uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, once again, I'm Dom Patinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, six months goes by like that. 
come and I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.